Well, I remember anxiety gripping my 12-year-old mind when I was listening to Pastor Tony Rose, the pastor of the church I grew up in, preaching a sermon. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't remember what that sermon was about. I don't remember a lot of things, but again, that was a really long time ago, so I, I get credit for that. Um, but what I do know, what I do remember is one sentence. He said, suffering is an inescapable part of life. And if you aren't suffering now, don't worry, you will. And I hated that. Hated it. As a, as a young man, I, I couldn't reconcile that with what I believed about God, and it absolutely terrified me. Suffering is a guarantee. It's 100% going to happen. And uh, I'm a little bit older than 12 now, a few decades later. And uh, this is a big shocker, but yeah, it's 100% inescapable. That seems like a, a, a really profound insight, doesn't it? After a year like uh, we've had. It's no shock to any of you. Uh, I've, I've even talked to quite a few folks in just the past month or two who are going through some of the deepest sufferings that uh, I can imagine. It's part of what it means to live in a fallen world, to suffer. And so we have to come to terms with that. And we have to know how do we deal with this? How, how do we suffer well? How do we suffer for the sake of Jesus? Well, Paul was a man whose life was marked by great suffering. And, and this letter, the, the, the second one that we have to the Corinthian church, he talks about suffering all throughout from beginning to end, specifically his suffering. And the reason he does this is because he's defending his ministry from a group of people that he sarcastically calls these super apostles, right? And basically what they're saying, these false teachers are saying, is that uh, he preaches this glorious gospel, and yet look at his unglorious life, right? Like he preaches the risen Christ and life in Christ. So shouldn't he look the part? Shouldn't he look like he's victorious? If he were a true apostle... Of the risen Messiah, he would not suffer like he does. And yet his life's full of hardship. Look at his body, the scars and the bruises and the welts. Look at how frail and feeble he is. Listen to how weak his speech is. He's flighty. His bark is way worse than his bite. His life doesn't match the glory he preaches. And then they would go, but look at us. These were people who probably had a lot of money. They were well-dressed. They were very bold in their speaking. And they were authoritarian to the Corinthians. They preached that what they showed was true glory. Think of them as like first century prosperity gospel peddlers, right? This, this life in Christ should be this great and wonderful thing. And, and you should have power. And this is a problem for Paul. Right. Like he, he, he knows that if the Corinthians believe he's an illegitimate apostle, then that means the gospel he preaches is an illegitimate gospel. Right. So it's not just he wants to defend himself because he's, he's about himself. No, he's about Jesus. And if they don't believe that he is who he says he is, an apostle of Jesus, then the gospel he preaches is also not uh, true. And his response to them isn't to double down and be like, oh, I'm going to show you what power looks like. He actually affirms their charges. He says, you're right. I am pathetic. I am weak. I have greatly suffered. And that proves that the living Christ is working in me and through me. So as we dive into the text, we will see that God delights to put his treasure 
in easily broken vessels. Look at me at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Let's talk about the treasure. What he's talking about here is the gospel. Right before this, verses 5 and 6, he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ is the treasure he's referring to. It's this glorious reality. In case you're going, what is gospel? Like, what are we talking about here? God loves you, sent his son to die for your sins. He's now the risen, God's risen king, and he rules over all of uh, creation. And that if you would repent and turn from your sins, you'll spend eternity with God. And this message of ultimate glory, ultimate beauty, resides in what? Jars of clay. Now, I'm not a pottery expert, um, but whenever I was, you know, in grade school, uh, elementary school, and you, like, you made your little clay pot or whatever, your plate, I know that about 30 seconds, when you, when you give a young boy pottery, about 30 seconds after it comes out of the kiln, it's broken, like immediately. Just drop it, throw it, something like that. You know, it's extraordinarily fragile. You drop it three inches, it blows up into a million pieces. My wife has uh, a piece of Bybee pottery, which I guess is a big deal. And like every time we use it, I'm like carrying it like, don't break this thing because you can't get it anymore, right? It's so brittle. And the jar he's referring to isn't just brittle, it's also cheap. He's not talking about Meemaw's, you know, fine china that she puts up in her cabinet that you only pull out once a year. What he's talking about is just normal, cheap, orangish-colored pots where they would have put, like, their ground wheat or even used for their garbage. You know, yesterday's bread would go in there. Some commentators even say that the pot he's referring to is a pot that we would use. It's a toilet. They say it's a toilet. Uh, So these aren't, like, beautiful pieces of art, right, that you'd serve Thanksgiving dinner on. These are just plain, common easily broken pots. They don't seem valuable. And it's in this seemingly unvaluable pot that God puts his most priceless treasure. Why would he do that, right? Like, wouldn't you think that if if the gospel, this glorious truth that God loves us and his son to die for us, we can be with God forever by trusting in Christ. Wouldn't he put that in like some kind of Fort Knox level person, right? Like, why would he put it in something that's so easily broken? Well, the verse continues. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So the charge against Paul is that his unglorious life is inconsistent with this glorious gospel he preaches. And what he's doing is he's making the argument that, no, my weak life actually makes the gospel clearer. It shows the power of God. It's this surpassing power that he's talking about here is the power of God displayed through Paul's ministry, okay? Specifically, his ability to persevere through some of the most horrible kinds of suffering. We'll get to that in just a second. His effectiveness in gospel ministry. Thousands of people came to faith through Paul's preaching ministry. Churches were planted all over. And also, uh, his contentment through it all. It was God who supplied that power. 
Paul's not going anything innate in me. Paul's not going, unlike these super apostles, going like, look how great I am. It's because I went to the right college. It's because I've listened to all the right leadership podcasts. It's because I have this great pedigree. No, he rejects all of that. He says, yeah, I am a weak, unimpressive vessel, but the power of God is alive in this vessel because as I suffer, you see the treasure more clearly. And the glory of the treasure is not diminished by the weakness of the container. Rather, the glory of the treasure is shown more brightly because the weakness of the container. Because there's no question who gets the glory. God, all throughout Scripture, delights in using what is weak, what is not noble, what is pathetic for his kingdom purposes, so that the surpassing power belongs to him and not to us. Okay. It's all God, right? 100%. And so what we see is God delights to put his treasure in easily broken vessels. Here's our problem. One of our problems is that we don't like to see ourselves as the jar of clay, but as the treasure, right? (laughs) When suffering comes, our gut instinct is to go, why? What have I done that, that makes this suffering come up? Why am I going through this? But, The case is made that when we rightly see that we're easily broken, common, fragile container that contains a priceless treasure. And that our sole purpose is to show off that treasure, showcase that treasure. Our suffering becomes less insufferable because we know we have the treasure of the gospel living inside of us. And we're showing it through our Suffering. And we'll see how that works in the coming verses. Jars of clay living in a broken world are going to be broken. All right? And then Paul lists all these different ways that he personally has suffered. Look at with me in verse 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So let's just walk through kind of what these different sufferings are. Afflicted is, is the idea of being pressed. Like think of a wine press, like pressing a grape down. He says, we are pressed beyond our limit, except we don't fully crush. We are not fully smashed. So it's being, we're being pressed on every way, but we made it out. Perplexed. It's, it's, it's at a loss. Like, we have no idea what's going on. We don't know where up or down is. We don't know how if we go left or right. What in the world is happening? He says, perplexed, but not driven to despair. So he says, we're at, we were at a loss, but not completely at a loss. We were not thrown into the deep end. Persecuted. Imagery is that, is that of being of prey, being uh, chased by a predator. They came after us. If you know anything about the life of Paul, he was persecuted so many times. He was thrown out of, of town after town, beaten so many times, but not forsaken, not left to die by the Lord, not abandoned by the Lord, struck down. This is like, like wrestlers fighting or you know, MMA, and they finally get him to the ground, and they, they, they get him in a submission hold. That's what he's talking about here, just struck down, but not destroyed, not totally snuffed out, not unable to get up again. So all of these instances communicate extreme suffering. Okay, Paul, it wasn't a video game, right? It wasn't a movie. 
as Paul went on through his life, he experienced extreme physical, mental, emotional anguish. He does not lie about it. He doesn't back off from it and go, it really wasn't that big of a deal. No, he says it's the worst kind of suffering. In fact, he even says in chapter 1 of Second uh, Corinthians that his, his suffering was so great that he wanted to die. He despaired of life even itself. And so why in the world would God put a humble servant like Paul through so much suffering? It's so that the treasure of the gospel can be clearly seen. But how does that work? Verses 10 and 11. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So he's saying, when you look at me and my life of suffering, it resembles the life of Jesus. Jesus did not have a great and wonderful life here on earth. He suffered every place he went. So in verse 10, he says that he is carrying in his body the death of Jesus. That word honestly would be better translated the dying of Jesus. It's not talking about his death on the cross. It's talking about the dailiness of him living in a sin-stained world, a fractured world because of the fall of man and his sufferings he encountered. So as he would go into places and and preach the gospel uh, of, of the kingdom of himself, he was rejected. He was thrown out. He was slandered. He was lied about. Eventually he was betrayed by everybody who loved him. And they threw him out of uh, their city and ultimately killed him. So Paul could have stood up there and, you know, shown his arms or shown his back. And they would have seen scars and marks and bruises and welts of all the beatings he had endured. Later in the, in the, in the chapter, he says he, he suffered uh, beatings from Jewish leaders four times, 39, 40 minus one. I'm not, I don't, I didn't do the math. Shit. It's like 150 something odd wax with this, uh, with this pole they would have beaten him with. And he says, by looking at my body, you see the sufferings or the dying of Jesus. But these marks are an outward display of my experience of the life of Jesus and the resurrection power of Jesus. How? Well, he's still here. He's still preaching the gospel. Churches are still being planted. He's saying God is alive and working through me. You see the fruit of it. He looks at the church and says, you are the fruit of it. It's all God. He communicates a gospel power here and now for our suffering. It's a given. Living in a fallen world means that suffering is inevitable. And it's no different for the Christian or the non-Christian. Christians are not exempt from suffering. We suffer all the same things as anybody else. We face sickness. We face job loss. We face our spouses dying. We, we, you know, if, you, if you're kind of where I'm at in life, like, my grandparents are getting old. Like, it's kind of one of those things that inevitably it's coming. And, and I just, I, it, we face marital strife, heartbreak. Here's the thing. The promise of the gospel is not that we will not endure suffering. The promise of the gospel is that God is with us in it. That's the difference. And this is only true of Christians. 
For those who have the treasure of the gospel, they have God with them in their suffering. And their suffering has a great purpose. Okay? He goes on in verse 11 and he says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Notice he says the reason why they're being given over to death is for Jesus' sake. Paul understands that the reason he's suffering is for the sake of the treasure of the gospel. That's the, that's the point. That's one of the reasons why he's able to endure suffering. He knows that through his suffering, the gospel is put on display and other folks come to believe the gospel because it's showcased through his life. In, Paul, in Paul's life, suffering, you know that big old like Times Square jumbotron thing with the lights that go, they're just huge? That's what his suffering did to others. It, it shone the gospel truth brightly. And it's no different for us. Our suffering has a purpose, okay, for the Christian. He puts a bow on that point in verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. As Paul endured these sufferings for the sake of Christ, the life of Jesus was revealed. Right? He showed, like, like, this is what Christ has done for you. And he gave birth to life in others. That is the point of our suffering, that others would have life in Christ. Listen, Christian, your suffering is never wasted. But it is used by God to reveal the greatest treasure. Your suffering is never wasted, but it's used by God to display the gospel in a powerful way so that others would believe the gospel. That's the whole purpose of our life is to proclaim the gospel. And when those who are dying, in the midst of their dying, point to the treasure of the gospel, they are life givers because they make the gospel clear. That's the pattern of the Christian life. Death to life. Take up your cross and follow me. The illustration of the mustard seed. If it just stays there and, and doesn't fall and doesn't die, it does nothing. If it falls to the ground and it dies, it grows out and fruit takes over. So how do we do this? Right? It's like, oh, that's great. But it feels really abstract. Verse 13 tells us, we speak. Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also, we also speak. What we see is that for those who have the treasure of the gospel, suffering Prize our mouths open to speak the gospel. Paul makes a reference here, I believe and so I spoke, to a psalm, to the psalm we read earlier, Psalm 116. And this psalm, as you listen to it and as you spoke it, you saw that it deals honestly with harsh suffering, but also the hope and the goodness of God. It expresses the type of suffering that causes us to shudder. The snares of death is what it says. The pangs of Sheol, distress and anguish. And the specific verse that Paul references in verse 10, I believe even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. That belief there 
is belief in the goodness of God, trust in the faithfulness of God. And because I believe in the goodness and faithfulness of God, even in the midst of great affliction, I will speak. Speak of what? The goodness and faithfulness and mercy of God. But notice what the psalmist says. If you flip there, he says, I am greatly afflicted. He says, I believed. I believed in the mercy of God. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. He does not shy away from the realities of suffering. Scripture never minimizes the harshness of human suffering. In fact, it's more honest about suffering than we are. How many times? I do this all the time. How many times do you like scroll through social media or like you're reading a you know, news headline or something like that and you see some horrible tragedy, right? Like some kid is hit by a car and dies. Like just some horrible thing. And you just keep scrolling. You're like, oh, that's sad. And you just move on. Maybe you got, maybe I'm just crazy. I don't know. That could be. Uh, but, 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 but it happens. And that's what I do. I tend to minimize suffering, even in my own life. Like I see it. And, you know, you're like, man, that's really sad. But you just kind of move on from it. That's not good. Because God never glosses over human suffering. So we see two things being said here. Both brutal honesty about the suffering we're enduring. Right? Paul does it. He's like, this is how I've suffered. He doesn't shy away from it. But also a great hope in God. It's not either or. It's not like when you're in the throes of suffering, you just say, everything's fine. We're good. We're great. Life's peachy. No, you, it's also not that when you suffer, you just wallow in it and vent it all over social media. And, and, and that's all you ever talk about. My life's so hard. It's always hard. You know, as if you're a person without any hope. Look, if you're a Christian, you have the hope that your body's going to get out of the ground one day and you're going to see Jesus face to face. You are not a person without hope. It's a lie to pretend like we don't. And I know that some of you are hearing this and you're going, are you, are you kidding me? Like, I have to speak the gospel? I have to speak about the mercy and goodness of God when I'm going through this? It's just one more thing I got to do. You don't understand what kind of pain that I'm going through right now. How can you speak of the mercy of God when your suffering is so great you can hardly speak at all? Well, you remember the gospel. You believe it and you speak it. Verse 14. Knowing... That he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring you into his presence. This is the hope you have in Christ. It's not a fairy tale. <laughs> this isn't some happy, slappy, wishful thinking. This is the reality that awaits every single believer. You will rise with Jesus. Though we go through life suffering in so many ways, the truth of our future resurrection never changes. The proof of God's love for you is the cross of Christ. The confirmation that Jesus is who he says he was is the resurrection. Those are real things that really happen. Your present circumstance is not what you base uh, your life on. You, you, you don't go, my life's really hard right now, God must not love me. If you look at your circumstances at the, as the evidence of God's love, you will never have confidence in God's love. But if you believe the truth, 100%, God loves me so much, he sent Jesus to die for me, that colors the way you interpret your circumstance. You see that? It's like, which lens are you going to pick? 
look through your suffering and then make a make a, a statement about God or know the truth about God and then interpret your circumstances through that lens. This must ter- interpret all of our circumstances. You go from thinking, why on earth is this happening to me? Does God even care? To how will God use this for his glory? So you do this by speaking the gospel. We believe and so we speak. You speak it to yourself and to others. And by you speaking, folks will see and believe the gospel. Verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It sounds weird, and honestly, in our like self-consumed, self-obsessed culture, this is going to sound, it's going it's to hit us a certain way. But your suffering is for others' sake. Your suffering is, is God put you through suffering for the sake of others. Jesus lived and died for us. We follow him. It only stands to reason we would suffer for others' sake. That's how, we, that's how it works. And so as we suffer for the sake of Jesus, speaking the gospel of Jesus, more and more people believe the gospel, which confirms in us that God is working in us and through us. Because you see the fruit of other people coming to faith in Christ. And so what does that produce in us? Verse 16, so we do not lose heart, courage, confidence in the Lord, more hope. See, Paul saw the fruit of the Lord working through his sufferings in all kinds of people believing the gospel. Churches being planted. So he's even more emboldened now to press on. He's like, I've been through this before. I know what God's going to do. I may die, but at least they get the gospel. So we put our hope in the gospel and we speak the gospel in our suffering, through our suffering. And it produces greater hope in us to believe and speak the gospel. It's its own fuel. And yet many of us don't believe this. When, when suffering comes, we turn inward. Right? You get an injury, all you can think about is the fact that your knee hurts. And the call here is to do the opposite. We tend to think, I've got to focus on me right now. When things get better, then I'll speak. But Paul tells us to do the opposite. We speak out of our suffering. The lives marked by great power are not those that speak of the mercy of God when life is sunshine and rainbows, but when it's a hurricane. It's those who say, I'm just a jar of clay. That's all I am. My purpose is to display the treasure of the gospel. So whatever happens to this jar of clay, I'm good. Because I get to show the gospel. Many of you don't know her. But back in 2018, a woman named Nicoletta Pope, who was a member of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Lexington passed on from this life into the arms of Jesus. She was 32. She left behind four young boys and her husband of 10 years, Jeffrey. Nicoletta died in her home, holding the hand of her husband after a five-month battle, hard battle with cancer. She died clinging to the hope of the gospel. That her body, which had wasted away to literally near nothing, would be restored and glorified 
and that she would forever be in the presence of her king. And I didn't know her all that well. We'd only have had a few conversations, but watching her suffer proved the gospel to so many people. Over and over again, people would leave after visiting her, trying to comfort her, going, she just comforted me. She just prayed for me. And I went to, their, to, went to her funeral. And I was awestruck by the gospel strength of her husband, Jeffrey. I've been married 11 years. If my wife died right now, I don't think I could do what Jeffrey did that day. So I'm just going to read you what he said. He was both completely honest about his suffering, but he pointed people to the mercy of God. I don't have an answer for why we're burying my wife of of 10 years. Why this sweet daughter, gentle sister, loving mother, and genuine friend got cancer. We never asked that ourselves. She never asked, why me? I don't know why she died so young. Why the drugs didn't work. Why there had to be so much pain. But if you ask me how, how it was that she walked through this trial with such grace, inquire as to how she could comfort others who should have been comforting her. First Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. How else should she have lived If your God can only be trusted when things are good, if you only praise him when you get your way, then your God is too small. Nicole trusted Jesus. She trusted him with her good times and her bad times. And she rests now in his arms and the peace he provided at the cross. This killed me. This next part. He said, she lived well because he died. She died well because he lives. That's how you speak the gospel in your agony. Because of Nicola's public hope in the gospel, because she and her husband spoke the gospel in the fire of their deep pain, from their suffering, people came to faith in Christ. Numerous folks responded. They knew the gospel was true because they watched her die well and him suffer well. She was a living example of verse 15. He of verse 16. That's how you don't lose heart. You preach the gospel to yourself and to others, no matter what. But it also does something else. Our suffering, speaking and believing the gospel in the midst of it, produces life in others. We are life givers by doing that. But God also does something else as well. Look at verse 16. It lets us experience the gospel Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So this outer self is more than just a body, although it certainly includes the body. But it's, it's kind of everything external, right? It's your, it, it is your body, your health, your relationships, your resources, all those things. And he says that it's all wasting away. That's true of everybody, right? There's not a single person that's exempt from the outer person wasting away. We all age and we all eventually die. Some of you have seen finances come and go. Some of you have deteriorating health. Some of you have lost spouses, lost children. You've seen it. You know, it's wasting away. 
So that's what he's talking about. But the next thing he talks about only to happen only happens to those who have the treasure of the gospel. Though our outer self is wasting away, right here, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This inner self is the transformed spirit of the believer. It's who we are at our core. What God has done in us when we believe the gospel is the old man's dead, the new man has come. That's our spirit. That's, that's who we are. And, it, and Paul says here that because of the promise of God that there's a future resurrection, that Christ died for sins, the inner self is renewed even when we face suffering. Though we face all kinds of hardship, our souls are strengthened through the gospel. And God works through suffering in us, in our, in our inner man, in ways that he does not work in any other way. See, we always kind of expect that like when we go to the, you know, when you go to the camp or the retreat or, or you just are, 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 are around really positive folks all the time or when your life's going great just like you want it, that that's when your soul is renewed. And sure, there's mountaintop moments like that. But what scripture says here is that the truth of the gospel is that even in your suffering, you are renewed. The gospel is proved to you and you believe it more and your soul is renewed. He does something, God does something profoundly wonderful in you when you cling to the promise of the gospel in your suffering. So that's why Paul can say in verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For those who have the treasure of the gospel, suffering maximizes our joy, our, our enjoyment of the gospel, and maximizes our future joy when the treasure of the gospel is fully realized. He says, light momentary affliction. It's so weird. He's talking about this horrific suffering that he endured, that he says even in, in chapter 1, again, that he despaired of life even itself. And then he says that it's a light, momentary affliction. He's not backing off and saying, you know what, it really wasn't that bad. No, he's, he, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that compared to the weight of glory that awaits us, this is light, momentary Affliction compared to the reality that I'm going to see my Lord face to face, unfiltered by anything else. No more pain, no more pe- uh, uh, just complete peace. No more sickness. No more no, no more uh, this body wasting away. Anything that happens here is a light momentary affliction. So the think of a scale, right? On this side, you have suffering, great suffering, even. Stuff you can't even bear. And on this side, I guess it'd be down here. On this side, you have the weight of the glory of being with God forever. As you believe this, as you rehearse this to yourself, and as you speak it to others, that reality starts to become more clear to you. And the heaviness of the suffering lightens. Right? So as you preach the gospel to yourself, preach the gospel to others, as you look forward to the future hope that you have, your suffering, even great suffering, lightens. Here's the thing, though. When you're in the middle of it, like we can, we can abstract and go, yeah, that's true. I see that. I get it. But when you're in it, it doesn't feel light 
and momentary. Um, to say this past year and a half or so has been hard is the most dust statement you can make, right? And, uh, and I, I, I really weighed whether or not even to talk about our own life because uh, a few reasons. One, I don't want to pretend like we've suffered more than anybody else, okay? So hear, hear that. Um, there's some of you here that are going through things that I can't even imagine. But my hope is that this, what, what I'm about to talk to you about, will be a testimony to the goodness of God in the midst of our suffering. So uh, back in March of 2020, uh, we found out that our uh, son-to-be, Samson, passed away. Um, had a miscarriage. That was our second one of our entire life together. In the same year, December 2020, we found out that another child, Elias, also passed away. That one hurt. <laughs> we bought the, you know, we were going to surprise the kids at Christmas, and we bought like the stocking with an E on it, whatever. I was putting the kids to bed, walked upstairs, and healthy baby, gone. It's horrible. Got, I literally, I don't, my wife calls me a robot. Like, I don't really react to, to things as far as, like, negative things. I tell you, when I hit the top of that staircase and realized what happened, I hit the deck. And I hit the floor screaming no. And I could not even get myself up to crawl to my wife to try to comfort her because the pain was so intense. Later, we found out an opportunity to potentially adopt um, a child that um, a, a mother that someone met through work did not want. So we were on that process. We were, we were trying to uh, you know, make that work. And then the day before Mother's Day, we found out one of two things. Either the whole thing was a complete and total lie, which is unbelievable. Like, I don't even know how you pull that off. Or the child died because the mom got COVID and went into labor early. So in the course of just over a year, we experienced the loss of three children. And honestly, it's still really hard. <laughs> it doesn't feel like a light and momentary affliction. It's not, the pain isn't necessarily alleviated, okay? But alleviation of suffering is not the goal of the gospel. I would say if alleviation of suffering is your goal in trusting in Christ, you don't get it at all. Because the goal that God has for our suffering is that you would experience the resurrection power of Jesus here and now, and that others would as well. There's still moments when the realization of losing four children over the course of however many years it's been takes me to my knees. So what do we do? We speak the gospel because it's still true. We constantly remind ourselves of the gospel and fix our eyes on Jesus. We look to the things that are unseen. In view of eternity, this world, the things that are unseen... The things that are, that are seen passes away as quickly as a blink. I'm talking about eternity. What is your life? It's a blip. Boop. 
If all of human, if, if eternity is something that stretches, you can't even quantify it. But if human history is this, and we're boop, right there, go on and on and on and on and on and on forever. It's nothing. It's a tiny little speck. But the joy of eternity with God indescribably outweighs whatever suffering we endure here. Some of the things that I've seen in our lives because of the suffering we've endured is a resolution that the gospel is 100% true. No question at all. God has done something in my heart where this relatively stoic, when it comes to, you know, kind of, I don't really feel sadness ever. Even in other people's lives, like the bad things happen, it's like, oh man, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, it kind of sounds like I'm a psycho. What God has done through this is he's softened my heart. He's broken me over and over and over again. And I'll tell you what, the compassion that's in here now is a lot different than it was a few years ago. What I've seen in my wife's life is a strength that doesn't make a lick of sense. Literally, while she's miscarrying, and if you've ever, if you've ever experienced that, you know how painful that is. She's, she's literally cooking food for folks to take to them. That's what God, that's the only what the gospel can do. And it renews our inner life. And so we want to talk about it. We want to, we want to share that. We want you to know the gospel is true. Believe it. Speak it. Though suffering is inescapable here and now in this sin-stained world, we have a hope in God that's no... We, hope, we have a hope in a God that is no stranger to suffering. If we go back to verses 8 and 9 and look at that list of suffering God that Paul gave, Jesus was afflicted and crushed for our sins. He was perplexed and driven to despair. As blood poured from his pores, he sputtered out in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, please let this cup pass from me. He was persecuted by those he came to save and forsaken, screaming on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was struck down by the Roman authorities and destroyed. Our Savior is no stranger to suffering. It's not like he looks at your suffering and go, what is wrong? Will you just get up already? I went through it. You can too. Let's go. Come on. Hebrews tells us we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He doesn't say, get up. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The promise of the gospel is not that you won't get knocked down, but that you will rise, whether in this life or at the resurrection.